Glad to be here. I've been messing with them this whole time. I don't have a lot of friends, so when I get them, I don't know what to do with them. Well, you guys are all my friends, but you know what I mean. You already know I'm weird, you know? But uh, yesterday as we were preaching, thank you, sister. I love that we put both the genders to work in the, the physical labor here. Thank you for carrying this up. Amen. I always teach that to my daughters. I'm saying you'll work just as hard as the boys, right, right Hannah? Amen. They love doing that as unto the Lord. But I love just hanging out with my friend, my Irish friend, during St. Patty's weekend. So we had so much fun this weekend. And by the way, he's going out after this service. Uh, TJ, what are the times you guys are going evangelizing today? Is TJ here? Two to four. Okay, this is how it works. I have a gift to make people disappear. All I have to do is mention them in the service, and they will disappear and not be in this room. Seriously. You know this. Like, that's my gift. The moment I mention their name, bloop, they disappear. Where are they? They're on top of the roof fixing the air conditioning. Where are they? They're outside talking to, you know, just every single time it's just where someone's, they're way somewhere away from where they're supposed to be here. That's okay. So, my brother TJ, what time are you guys going downtown? Two to four. Okay, so get in touch with TJ. This is the lanyap of the event we're doing this weekend. And if you want, you can do exactly what I've been doing with my Irish friend during the uh, St. Patty's weekend. Just grab him, walk next to a bar and say, hey, everybody, you want a real Irishman? Here he is. And then push him out to start preaching. Now, sadly, I have used and abused my Irishman too much because his voice is gone now. Uh, and then yesterday, we made our own parade because we have a portable speaker uh, that's, that's with a battery. And when, you know, the crowds kind of left, we just picked it up and walked with the crowds. So that was fun. So they may do that today. You never know. Amen. But how many know St. Patrick was a godly saint and was a preacher of the gospel? And we need to be like that. And he's actually doing a very good job of explaining the history of that to me. And I'm so thankful that uh, there's an Irish man that, that really knows what St. Patrick was about. And by the way, we're all saints in Christ too. Amen. So maybe there will be somebody here that will be the saint of Chicago. They'll say, hey, do you remember St. Alfred? You know, we won't pray to St. Alfred. We'll pray like St. Alfred. Amen. All right, let's go to Revelation chapter 3. We're going through the book of Revelation verse by verse, and what we want to get from these uh, passages that we're going through is what God is saying to the churches. And what's so important about the message to the churches is that they're relevant to us because we're in a church today. Where are you at today? You're in church. Are you up today? Amen. So you're in a church, and so you should be learning from the other churches. We should be able to go, yep, I've seen that before. Don't want to do that. Oh, I want to be more like that. These churches should be inspirations and examples. And I always say this to people in the church. You will be an example of who we should be or who we should not be. Come on. And that even goes for me. I remember one pastor, he had a large church. He didn't know all of the members. And he was at the airport, and he was getting upset with the woman across the counter from him because something was not going right with his travel plans. And as he was raising his voice, someone in the, in the area recognized him and goes, Oh, pastor, hey, how are you doing? And then he said, oh, I felt so convicted at that moment because now I feel like I'm embarrassing my church, and I feel like we have to have that sense of, of God with us at all the times, that, that we are to be responsible for how we are, and you are to be the same way because you're a Christian. 
But let me just give you some permission right now to be a sassy Christian because oftentimes Christian, uh, non-Christians will try to tell Christians how to be and say, listen to me. While you're telling me not to judge you, don't judge me, okay? So you don't know this Bible. Let me just rebuke you a little bit more because sometimes they'll be like, oh, you're a Christian. You're not supposed to say that. My mom used to get so upset with me when I would get her in awkward conversations like that because I would be getting my hair cut, witnessing to the woman cutting my hair or at a restaurant or something, and my mom would say, oh, I think they're going to hit you, Joe. They're going to hit you. They're going to spit in our food. And I said, Mom, I got this. I got this. And I made her nervous all the time. But listen, you got to be bold as well. How many know the difference between being bold and rude? Amen. And so we have to know the difference. And so we have to learn from these churches what to be like and who not to be like, what to do and what not to do. Today we're going to talk about the church of Sardis. And everybody say, wake up. Amen. Revelation chapter 3. I would like to read it uninterrupted as best as I can, and then we'll break it down for you today and get into uh, the practicals. And Adam's going to help me preach, and hopefully you'll come back tonight as he preaches some more as we gather together, and then we're going to get some folks in the baptismal tank. Are you excited about baptisms tonight? Amen. Get you saved, sanctified, baptized. Amen. Filled with the Holy Spirit. Revelation chapter 3, to the angel of the church of Sardis write, These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. I think we know how this letter is going to be going, right? Wake up. Somebody say, wake up. Wake up, thank you, strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard, hold it fast and repent, but if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief. You will not know at what time I will come to you, yet I have a few people, somebody say a few people. Thank you. Yet I have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. The one who is victorious, like them, will be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the church. And everybody said, amen and amen. We're in this series, and we're going through the seven churches that God is speaking to. I have a helpful chart on the notes to show you kind of a breakdown of how these different um, grades are given to the churches. There are uh, some things to notice. There are two churches that have nothing negative said about them, and then there's one church that has nothing positive said about them, and then there's four churches that kind of get like a C or a D that have some positive and some negative. We are now at the church of Sardis. We will then go to Philadelphia and Laodicea. And like I said, you can go back over there and review it. We see that Jesus likes to start each one of these uh, addresses to the churches with a declaration. Here we see the declaration that he holds the seven spirits and the seven stars. Why is this so important? Somebody say Revelation. Amen. Thank you. If you ever want to kind of like test me and see if I'm a theological nerd, say Revelations in a Bible study that I'm leading or with. Oh, let's go to Revelations chapter 2. See, the nerd in me will come out and be like, uh -uh -uh. no, it's not Revelations. It's what? Revelation. Singular. Why? Because it's a singular revelation of Jesus. This is not Revelations of the Antichrist, though he's, though he's included in this, but he's not the main character. This is not 
revelations of the beasts and all of those things. This is one singular revelation that we are supposed to get. It is about Jesus. It's about Jesus from beginning to end in this book called Revelation or the Apocalypse or Apocalypse, depending on what language, Latin or Greek, this is supposed to teach us who Jesus is. And right at the beginning, we see that he holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Now, why is that important? Because I have taught you, if you've been here, if not, you can catch up and, and do your best to follow along, but they are in past messages because I prepared you for a time when Jesus' divinity might come into question from those like Jehovah Witnesses or others who want to say this statement means he cannot be God. You must understand the context because notice this. Jesus says your deeds are unfinished in the sight of my God. Somebody say my God. My God. Amen. My God. My God, he says. Now, what will the Jehovah Witness, what will the cult, what will the undoctrinally sound person say to you? If Jesus has a God, how is he God? That's their argument. To take away from the divinity of Christ, the revelation of Christ. And so what I always love to do is kind of like the person in the van when you see in the old 70s movies when they kidnap you and they won't let you go. I like to kidnap them and put them in this context and say, oh, you really want to go here? Pull off, guys. We got them. Get them in. Shut the door. And I get them out. Because I say, you're not leaving now. I lock the door of the context. And I say, okay, my friendly neighbor, Jehovah Witness, you went to this passage. This is where you're stuck now. Are you ready? Because I show them what we just heard in this declaration. Who else but God can hold the seven spirits of God? Can you hold Niagara Falls in your hand? Can you hold a volcano in your hand? How could the angel Gabriel or the angel Michael or any other created being hold the sevenfold manifestation of God's spirit in his hand? Okay, so explain that to me. I'll explain to you in just a moment how he has a God. I have no problem with that. But let me ask you, in this passage you love so much, how can a mere creature, an angelic being, what they believe is the angel Michael, is, a, is Jesus. He is a created being of the Father that does all of these things. How can an angelic being hold the Spirit of God, the Spirit that created the known universe, created all angelic beings, everything that has been made and will ever be made? How can this man-made... or God made creature rather hold the spirit in his hand come on get back you, you can't come like that get out of here with that nonsense it is a false doctrine the Trinity is not something the Roman Catholics made up. This is not something that was handed down from paganism and triadism like Brahma, Vishnu, and Shiva, the Hindu gods, or the Zeus triad, or so forth. The Trinity is a unique doctrine only found in the Christian and Hebrew scriptures. And it is something that we ought to always take serious because there's something uh, called false doctrine that's always slipping up and trying to, uh, you know, slipping in and coming up in our generations, and we need to be ready to put it down with the word. So I go, now you're stuck with it. You went to a passage that says he has a God. I have no problem explaining it to you. But before we leave this passage, tell me who but God can hold the seven spirits in his hands. Like you as a human can't even hold a volcano in your hand. How do you think an angel is going to hold the Holy Spirit in his hand? This is no one, none other than God. But now let's answer their question. Because answering a question with a question is always good just to kind of maybe shut down the opposition. But you can't leave it there. You have to answer their question. And this is something that I've already gone through. And I'm kind of looking around the Bible class right now. Who should I call on? 
Who would know? I'm not going to embarrass you, but I am tempted to embarrass you because I like to embarrass my kids. Pray for church kids, okay, especially pastor kids. Okay, anytime they look bad or acting bad, just stretch your hands towards them and say, Lord, have mercy on them. Don't let dad or mom see them. Amen. Because we will handle our business. But I don't want to embarrass you. But, but how many, just to be honest, if I was to ask you to explain how Jesus has a God, or it says here in this passage that Jesus is my God, how many could say, I could probably get through this and explain it? Not many of you? Some of you? Okay, let's go back into chapter 1. Because remember, it's the same author, the same author, so we're in the same author's book. Go to Revelation chapter 1, please. As we go there, what are we going to see that's important about the revelation of Jesus Christ? We're going to see in Revelation chapter 1, verses 4 and onward, thank you, sir, we're going to see here that Jesus came from earth, uh, came from heaven, rather, to be the firstborn from among the dead. For Jesus to be the firstborn among the dead, which everyone will agree at this point that Jesus was once not on earth and came to earth. They'll even say he was created first in heaven as an angel, and then he comes down in the earth to die. So we both agree with that. But my question is here, why did he have to come, whether it's an angel according to their first false doctrine or God in the flesh, why did he have to come? The Bible says he did this to free us from our sins and to purchase our salvation by his what? By his blood. Thank you. By his blood. And so now, could the blood of a mere angelic being be enough to satisfy the sacrifice? No, Jesus himself in the Old Testament, which now we will move them through the scripture. But I've answered it here. Why would Jesus have a God? Because Jesus would come in the flesh to die for us. And I can explain how he said, I myself will provide the lamb. When the example was given or the command was given for Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, God said, I myself, Jehovah Jireh will provide it. But we have to explain to them how the incarnation works so there is no confusion. Go with me to Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 27. Go ahead and put it up there for us, please, brother. Do you think God is the God of all flesh or just some, some flesh? Is there anything that God is not the God over on this earth right now? Is God over everything or some things? He's over everything. Look at Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 27. If the Son of God is going to come into the flesh... Will his flesh have a God? Yes. Because is he going to be an atheist? When Jesus comes into the flesh, is he going to say, my flesh is not under the Father? I'm going to now subject my flesh to my own divinity and pretend the Father does not exist. No, when the Son comes in the flesh, his flesh will be subjected to the same authority that everybody else's flesh is subjected to. Look at the prophetic word. I am the Lord, the God of all mankind, and now see it in the King James. I am the God, the God of all what? So now when the Son of God takes on flesh, does he have a God over his flesh, i.e. his Father? Yes, because we don't believe when Jesus comes into the flesh, he's going to deny his father. His flesh is under the jurisdiction of the father. So we show them for what purpose. The book of Revelation already explained. He took on the flesh so that by his blood he might redeem us. And then we bring them to Philippians chapter 2. Please go to Philippians chapter 2 and we explain it 
clearly to them, and now you will understand clearly, so there will be more than two or three of you raising your hands next time I ask you, how does Jesus have a God and is at the same time God? And I will explain it even further. I will explain it till 3 in the afternoon until we all get it. Amen? Amen. You guys ready for some football pizzas from Mama Luna's? If we got to do that right now? If we got to, like, pass out the pizza and you all get it? It's not a trick. It's all here. Okay? Look at Philippians chapter 2. Paul's speaking. And look at what he says about Jesus. He says, talking here, you ought to have the same mindset of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature, what? Jesus is in the nature of what? God. Now, everyone understand this. Jesus is in the nature of God. The Father is in the nature of God. The Holy Spirit is in the nature of God. Are there three gods according to the scriptures? No, there is one God, and that nature is shared equally. Not like a third and a third and a third of a pie, but it is shared equally by each person. That is why it says in Matthew chapter 28 and onward 19, it says, baptize them in the name, not names, but singular, one name, baptize in the name of what? The Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. What is the self-revealed name of God in the Old Testament? Yahweh. So who is Yahweh? Yahweh is the Father. Yahweh is the Son. Yahweh is the Holy Spirit. Now, if Yahweh the Son, God the Son, who is in nature God, comes as a man, comes in flesh, is he going to be an atheist? No, he's going to be under the authority of his father. But now listen, this is where others mix it up and even sometimes Christians. They think that because Jesus is in the role of the son and the father is over him in authority, that that must mean even in the Trinity that somehow the father is greater in nature than the son because Jesus says the father is greater than I. They take that as meaning greater in nature. But it's not greater in nature, it's greater in position. Can I give you the example? How many know a soldier in the armor, in the army, has a greater position of authority than those of us who are not in the army? But does that make them a different kind of human? No, they have a different role. How many know I have a different role of authority over my children and they are to honor me? I am greater than them, but we both share humanity. How many know in the marriage, the woman submits to the husband, and the woman is in the same nature as a human as the husband? So the son, though he submits to the greater authority of his father, is equal in his nature. And so I am a father, and I have a father. My father's greater in authority than me because he birthed me. He did all of these things, but we both equally share the same human nature. Just because there are different roles, and the Holy Spirit, by the way, submits to the Father and the Son. So it's like I've showed you, like those Russian dolls. The Son comes into the Father's authority, and then the Holy Spirit comes into the Father and Son's authority. Does everybody get that example I'm giving? They fold in because out of the Father, the Son's authority is given. Out of the Father and Son, the Holy Spirit authority is given. But they are not different in nature. They are all omnipresent, omnipotent, and all-knowing. They share equally the divine nature, but in the economic sense, in the sense of relationship, which actually solves the problem of the one and the many, how we can have a, a universe of many particles and many things, but yet be one, a whole. The triunity of God in God's nature 
solves the issue of all the complex math, philosophy, and science that in the nature of God there is three, yet they share one nature. And if you look up the problem in philosophy called the one and the many, the Trinity solves that. A biad or a binity, two would not solve it. You would need two or more. And we see in our scriptures God is the Father, Son, and Spirit. He is the fellowship of the divine. In the fellowship of the divine, there is no need for another. God didn't create us because he needed another person to hang out with. He has the perfect fellowship. He has the many, and yet he is one. And from there, the family of God is started in humanity, father, mother, children. Are you listening to me? I know that's deep, but let's go back to the scriptures. For who being in very nature, what? Jesus is in very nature, what? God, the entire point of this passage right here is to teach people to be humble. Be like Jesus. Be like Jesus. How is Jesus? Jesus is God. But he did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Can I use the equality I have with Michael Jordan on a basketball court to my own advantage right now? No, I don't have equality with Michael Jordan. This is an old example. Who's the coolest guy on the basketball court now, kids? Does anybody know a cool kid that I can name, a cool player? LeBron, let's go to LeBron. Can I use my equality with LeBron on the basketball court to my own advantage now? No, I can't. Can I use my equality with Bill Gates to my advantage to finances right now? No, how many know I'm not a billionaire? Okay, so if the Bible says that Jesus cannot use or rather did not consider to use his equality with God as something to his own advantage. What must he be at the beginning? Equal with God. But what is he showing us in humility? He's not going to use it to his own advantage. He's in the nature of God. He has equality with God of all the privileges of God. But now what will he do? Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. How many times do you see the word nature in verses 6 and 7? How many times do you see the word nature in verses 6 and 7, Bible class? Two. He is in the nature of what? And then he is in the nature of a servant human likeness. How many natures now does Jesus have? Two. Now everybody get this. Did man become God or did God become man? God became man, retaining his divinity. If I today put on a spacesuit, I am a spaceman, but have I stopped being a man? When Jesus took on an earth suit, did he stop being God? No, he just became a part of flesh and creation. And now that flesh and creation is under the subjection of his father. And when he raised from the dead, did he bring flesh with him? Yes. He told Thomas, touch me. So in heaven, he has his flesh and is forever what? The God man, the theanthropos, God and man. This is called the hypostatic union, the union, the hypostasis of the divine nature with mankind for the sake of salvation. So yes, he holds the seven spirits of God in his hand and he also submits himself to his father as God because as man he will forever identify with us and be our savior. If he ever stops being a man, you stop having a savior. You and I need the divine to be united with humanity in Christ Jesus so that we can have a participation in the divine nature, being born again, being adopted into the family of God, predestined into his image to be glorified. He is the firstborn among many brethren. 
He is the firstborn among many brethren. Please put in Romans chapter 8. So that we can become sons and daughters of God. Remember, we were lost. Our flesh deserved death. We were separated from God. So God took on flesh so that he could be a savior to mankind. Thank you, my brother. Looking on down here to the end of Romans chapter 8, many of us are encouraged by these uh, you know, powerful scriptures that come out talking about adoption and nothing to being able to separate us from the love of Christ and the transformation of our bodies. But many of us miss this important part. Remember when we went to Revelation chapter 1 when it talked about the blood that he shed for us. It says he is the firstborn. Everybody remember that firstborn? And it doesn't mean that's God's first creation. He's the firstborn flesh to get glorified. He's the firstborn flesh to be glorified. It says, for those God foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son so that he might, talking about Jesus, be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Somebody say, I look good now. Say it like you mean to say, I look good now, but I'm about ready to look a lot better. Come on, when I get to heaven, I'm going to have glorified flesh like Jesus, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he justified. And those he justified, he what? Glorified. So the end of all of this is to get the glory that the Son of God purchased for us. And now that we've taught him, we bring him right back. Go to John chapter 1. We bring him to the author of Revelation because we know that God would not give a revelation that contradicted the gospel that he gave the same author. Talking about John, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So anyone that wants to say because he has a God, he cannot be God, they are not understanding the scriptures. And then it says in John 1:14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. And then sometimes people like to be sassy. Please put in Hebrews 1. They say, okay, well, Jesus calls the Father God, but does the Father ever call Jesus God? Yes, he does. The Father calls Jesus God in the Psalms, and Hebrews, the author of Hebrews, uh, quotes it so that we can understand it. Look at Hebrews right here uh, in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 8. This is the Father speaking, but about the Son, he says. Who is talking here? The Father. The Father says about the Son, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. The Father says it to the Son. I'm talking about the God whose throne will last forever and forever. So please do not let people persuade you or try to bamboozle you from the sound teaching and the doctrine of the triune nature of our God. It is essential to your faith. It is essential to all understanding. I could be here all day in the mysteries of the triune nature of our God, but there is enough meat on the bone, enough truth that we all can grasp. My children should be able to grasp this, that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit share the same nature. They are the one God of the Israelites. They are the God of the Bible. And it was the Son who took on flesh for our redemption so that through his resurrection, we might be given a new spiritual life in a glorified body. Hallelujah. 
So show them right there in the context that, yes, Jesus has a God, and he also holds the seven spirits of God. So there you see the two natures of Jesus. As God, he holds the spirit of God. In his humanity, he submits to his Father. And that's why the angels also belong to him. I have the reference there in Revelation that uh, the angels belong to him because it says here that the angels belong to the Father, that he sent his angel right here. The Father sent his angels, but in Revelation 22, 16, he calls it his angels. And that would be normal if my Father has given me all that which belongs to him. My Father and I would share the same possessions. And for you to share the same possessions of God, you must be equal with God, especially in this light. Now, God can give us a share in his inheritance, but we can't have the same authority of him. But the Bible says he commands the angels. He comes with his angels just like the Father does. He holds the spirits just like the Father does, and so forth. How many are encouraged by the first part? Amen. And the seven stars are the seven churches and their pastors. So we learned this great declaration about Jesus. I want to make sure that as we go through the scriptures, we are not led astray into false doctrine. Hold on to what you are receiving here. Now, going to the church, to the practical matters, we are told about this church that they have a reputation of being alive, but they are really spiritually dead and their works are unfinished. And this brings great conviction to me. Because how many would say Metro Praise International has the reputation of being alive? But what if God said of us, we were unfinished? What if he said, hey, y'all look radical compared to everybody else. You might look like you're the best thing around when you're at a funeral parlor. But have you ever compared yourself to me and to my apostles and to those who are really on fire? You know, you might, you might feel like you have a normal temperature if you're hanging around with the frozen chosen all the time. It might be normal to be cold, but have you been around somebody that's on fire? And this is where we have to check our hearts and go, hold on. Am I deceiving myself? Because the Bible says we can be self-deceived. We can get comfortable with what we have already done or have learned about of God and now think it's finished. It's done. And God may be looking at us as a half-baked cake and say, you ain't done yet. You need to stay in that oven and let God finish you. In this church, I deal with it all the time because we're an empowering church. We give people the, the, the pulpit. We let them testify. We send them out to preach. And every now and then, somebody will come to me. <clears throat> Pastor, I have now done all that you've asked me to do. I'm ready to be a pastor just like you. And then we, we do what a good chef will do or a, a baker. We, we, we put that thermometer all the way down into the middle of the cake. And we say, no, you're not done yet. You're not done yet. And then what do they say? Oh, I humbly submit. No, they go, well, I'm going to go start a church over here with a bunch of other people that are half-baked. It happens. I'm serious. People that don't know the difference between a real cake and a half-baked cake. Come on. Eating the raw egg. Wondering why they're sick at the end of that. But what God wants to do is test us and say, no, this is not complete. And it doesn't mean that we have to wait in some endless process where we can never be approved by God to do certain things. But the hum humility has to be there that God is working and completing his good work in us and that we're not satisfied just where we're at. We are hungry and thirsty for more. We're hungry and thirsty for righteousness. We are, we are content in the fact that we are adopted. We're not working to be accepted by our Father. We're not trying to do more to get more because if you just do, 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 do all the time, then you just, you got a bunch of do-do. 
And you become religious and you think that you're better than everybody else because you just, dude, dude, I got to do this and I got to do that and then I got to do, do. And I meet a lot of religious people that have lost the heart of God in their works. They're proclaiming that they're doing it for God, but they're doing it for religious attention. And so the Bible teaches us that good works come out of the relationship for Christ. So it's not an either or. It's not greasy grace, sloppy agape, I'm not doing anything, I'm just going to heaven. And it's not, I'm working my way to heaven, I'm working my way to heaven. It's right in the middle. I am saved by grace through faith, not of myself, but I am the workmanship of God in Christ Jesus, created to do good works, which he prepared before the foundation of the world. So I'm not doing to get, I'm doing because I be. I be a child of God, so I do what child, a children of God do. I be sanctified, so I do the work of holiness. And that's what he's saying to them, is that you're basically, you're losing your identity, you're trusting in your works, and they're really half-baked. It's not good. And like I showed you before in other letters, Jesus starts off with compliment, critique, compliment. This one, he goes right into rebuke. So we ought not to always make that a, a must in our communication. Sometimes, as I said, you got to go right into the rebuke. So he goes right into it. He says, you have the reputation of being alive, but you're not. It's unfinished. And then what is the instruction that he gives? Somebody say, wake up. Wake up. He tells them to wake up. And I don't know about you, but I needed to be woke up today. Did anybody need help? Some of you second service slept in. That's why. I was here for first service, just to let you know. I got a little check next to my name. My wife woke me up and said, are you getting up? I said, no, I'm not getting up. I am that meme, if you've ever seen that meme, like, but you have to get up and go to school. No, I don't want to, but you're the principal, if you've ever seen that. Like, that's my wife. Seriously, my wife has to baby me with the six. I'm the seventh child on Sunday mornings. Get up. Let me sleep. How much longer? 15 minutes. It's been 15 minutes. Like I said, this is the opposite of confession. Confession is where you go to a dark room and confess your naughty secrets. To a priest, this is where I, in the lights, I confess my sins to you. I needed help this morning getting up. But if I didn't get up, I would be in sin. Lazy. I mean, at some point, you just got to bite the bullet. We lost an hour. But thank God the days are going to get longer. The sun's going to come out. It's worth it. Let's go. Right? Come on. There's a day at hand. Seize the day. And so spiritually, we have to do the same thing. Are there times in life we rest? There is a Sabbath rest in Christ. Is there a rest that we can rest our, our head upon the shoulders of the, or the chest of Jesus Christ and hear his heart beating saying, Abba, Father, I can't do this without you. I need you. Carry the burden. Yes, but if we use this as an excuse for compromise, an excuse for laziness, Jesus is going to say, wake up. And strengthen what remains. I'm so encouraged by this because he says, yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. You see, I look at that example as soiling as what my children do in their diapers. And I'm sorry to say, but we're in a culture right now where a lot of churches and Christians have soiled themselves. And they just want to go to church and just be told that everybody stank and it's okay if you stink. No, I want to go to a church where they change my diaper and get me potty trained. Come on, somebody. I'm happy that there's some here that are faithful and they're saying, I'm not giving up. I'm going to keep pressing in. I'm not going to grow weary by God's grace and doing good because I know I'll reap a harvest if I do not faint. 
right? Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. Though the youth may get tired and the young people may faint, I'm going to soar upon the wings of an eagle. Hallelujah. I'm going to run and not get weary, walk and not get tired. God is looking for a faithful few that can hold on to holiness and not soil themselves with the impurities of this world. And I call upon you today, church, and I call upon all that can hear me today to keep holding on to Christ. Hold on to the sound doctrines. Don't soil yourself. Don't give up what you know is true. Because look at what the promise is. He has a white robe for us, for those that are worthy. The Bible uses this language, not that we earned it, but we've walked worthy of it. I want everyone to get the example of this. If you became an astronaut and started working in the space station, could any or all of the work you would do up there ever earn the right to own the the space station? No, it's like worth a trillion dollars. Your hourly wage can never earn the space station. But what could you do as a faithful astronaut? You could be worthy of that position and the honor to work as an astronaut in that trillion dollar space station. In other words, don't blow it up. Don't soil on it. Don't pee pee on the walls. Hello, somebody. Treat it nice. Pick up the garbage. Make it look clean. Touch the right buttons. Don't touch. Don't blow the thing up. Don't touch the wrong buttons. And Jesus is saying this to us. You're not going to earn your salvation. I'm going to give it to you by grace. But I want you to walk worthy of your salvation. Show that the salvation is worth something to you. And he says those are the ones who are going to be dressed in white. So he encourages them, don't give up, wake up, strengthen what remains, repent for not being alive. But he says to them as a warning, if you don't wake up, I'm going to come to you like a thief. And that is powerful because he always used that example with the world. He says in the world's mind, they're not going to have any idea of when I'm coming. It's going to be like a surprise. But for my people, they're going to be like, it's about time Jesus should be coming back. How many are in that mindset right now? Like if he came this week, that would not be a surprise. You know, you would be like, yes, Jesus, I think it's about time. But for the world, they're, they're going to be like, what? Judgment? I thought this was normal. I thought, I thought all the debauchery, I thought all the homosexuality, I thought all of the abortion, murdering of our unborn children, I thought this was normal. I thought this was our planet to do what we want. It would be like a thief coming to them as Christ comes. But for us, we're like, Jesus, it's already been 60 million aborted children. When are you coming, Jesus? As a matter of fact, as we go further in the book of Revelation, they're crying out, come, Jesus. Come, Jesus. How much longer, Jesus? They're murdering us in other countries, Jesus. They're taking away our rights, Lord. They're destroying the bodies you've given them, Lord. They are disgracing what you have put upon this planet to be used for good. They're addicted to their substances. They're murdering one another. Lord, how much longer will you come? And the Christian's calling out, not, not, Lord, give me some more time so I can make more money. The Christian is calling out, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, come Jesus. Now would be perfect. So we're not to be asleep and like, oh, Jesus is coming back. What'd you say? I'm just going to go back to sleep. Okay. Now that's not the way we're supposed to be. 
We're supposed to be woke. Somebody say, get woke. They stole this from us, and it's time for us to slap that hand and take it back in Jesus' name. You want to see woke come to church? We woke for Jesus. Amen. We understand there's one race, the human race. We understand here this is life. We understand he, we're woke to the fact he made a male and female to procreate. We understand that the family is a husband and a wife, a mother and a father. We understand that there's one way to heaven. We're woke. Don't be a joke. Get woke. Amen. Get woke to the things of God. And he blesses them. And he says, there are those who have not soiled themselves. So what does he say at the end? He says, the unsoiled, the victorious, they're dressed in white. They're going to shine brighter than the sun. The glory of God is going to emanate from them. He then says to them, their name will never be blotted out. Now, this is where I talk to my friends who are genuine Christians. We want to honor them. We don't want to put them in the same category of the Jehovah Witnesses and others. So they honor Christ. They believe in Jesus. They know who he is, the triune nature of God, the incarnation. But yet they will teach from time to time that you can never lose your salvation. Or they'll say, once you're saved, you are always saved. And when I went to cemetery, I mean seminary, I was at a Baptist seminary, and they taught this there, that, you know, those who are in Christ can never come out of his hand, and nothing can separate us from the love of God, and he'll lose none of his sheep, as the Bible says. And to all of that, we say amen. But it's not an either or, it's a both and. He won't lose anybody, but you can get lost if you don't want to stay. He will not push you away, but you can get cut off. And he's not going to cause you to fail, but you can shipwreck your faith. And here is another one of those. He will not want you to go out of his book, but you can get your name blotted out. So everybody get this. Let's go to Psalm chapter 68, verse 28, or excuse me, Psalm 69, Psalm 69, 28, and understand how this works, because we do not teach that you can lose your salvation like you lose a set of keys. Jesus is not saying, well, one day you're going to wake up and you're not going to be saved anymore. <laughs> I'm going to do that to you. No, he's not like messing with them. Like, guess what? You think you're going to heaven, but I'm going to trip and I'm going to send you to hell. And all the angels are going to laugh and we're going to watch it like a TikTok video. Watch this person. Yay, Jesus, I'm coming. Ah, look at them, angels. They thought they were coming. They thought they were going to heaven. Look at them. No. Those of us who are saved need to have the warning, and those who go against this warning will have their cut-off relationship with God, and they'll know it. Judgment will come to you. Look at what the psalmist said. May they, this is, this is David being sassy here, talking about his enemies. May they be blotted out of the book of life and not listed with the righteous. Now, for you to be blotted out of a book, what did you first have to be in the book? Written down. Can you erase something that hasn't been written? So I always say that to my friends that think that this is not going to happen to Christians. Can you shipwreck a ship you're not in? No, but you can shipwreck your faith. Can you lose a fight you're not in? No, but you can lose the fight of faith. I mean, I can give you example after. Can you get cut off from something that you're not in as a vine? No, but you can get cut off from Jesus. So can you get blotted out of something you're not written in? A lot of negatives. I'm, I'm, I think I'm messing with you guys on the negatives here. But, uh, yeah, you have to be written down to be blotted out. 
I believe David here, it's called an imprecatory psalm. He's speaking forth the judgment as a messianic promise that Jesus himself will fulfill. So we do not have the right to pray that people go to hell. <laughs> In other words, you can't get so mad at your enemies and go, Lord, oh, Jesus, blot that person's name out of your, out of your book. How many have felt like it a few times? Oh, Lord, blot them out. Just, Lord, just spill some ink over there. Just erase it real quick. Lord, Lord, just leave that part of that book open with their name there in the eraser, and I'll do it, Jesus. Just leave it open. I'll do it, you know. No, we are not to pray this. This is David oftentimes, because he's called the son of David. He comes from the lineage of David. Oftentimes, David has messianic prophecies that he is speaking through his psalms. And I believe David is showing us what Jesus is literally going to do like we learn in Revelation. And so this should not be something that we are afraid of because notice that it's actually a promise, but it kind of comes with a little bit of some scary stuff too because the promise is those of you who are the faithful few and those of you who have been living unspoiled, you are going to get this robe and you'll never be blotted out. But what's kind of the scary thing? Like, if I stopped, I guess I could be blotted out, <laughs> right? It's like, Children, do the right thing, and you'll never be locked out of the house. That's a great incentive to them. But what are they supposed to catch in that? Uh, if I do the wrong thing, does that mean I get locked out of the house? Yeah. And so it's actually, listen, it favors how we believe. I have perfect security in Christ because I know that he'll always take care of me. I am not fearful of losing my salvation because all he's asked me to do is to keep holding on to the faith and he will do all of the rest. So I have no fear of being blotted out. How many know perfect love casts out all fear? So who should be the one that's afraid? The one that wants to do the things above, stay asleep, be spoiled, and act like they, they, they don't have any sin. He says, you guys will get blotted out, in other words. So keep, keep that as a reminder as you live holy for Jesus Christ. There are consequences if Christians do not want to live right. And also, in my studies with the Baptists, I did an entire study in the book of Hebrews. So if you want to go back and research that, just look up on our website, uh, lose salvation, lose salvation, and you can find it there. Here we now learn that the promise is to everyone who hears what the Spirit is saying. Somebody say, I hear you, Jesus. I'm going to tag team in the man of God of faith and power for the hour. How many want to hear this brother preach and bring it home? Look at your neighbor and say, that was just the introduction. If you just want to stand up across this room, there's nothing that could be added to or taken away from what we shared. If you just want to stand up, the worship team could come up here tonight or today. Listen, you might be here for the first time. You might be visiting. And you might feel and sense there's an urgency in the pastor. You might feel and sense there's an urgency in this church. And you can compare it with other ministries across the city that you've experienced and been to. But the text that the pastor read today could not be a more relevant text to the Church of America. This is not, this is not just the Church of Chicago. This is the Church of Florida, where I live. This is the Church of Colorado, where our ministry is located. Churches across this entire nation have been beat, biting into the apple of Satan's deception for a very long time. Think about this. If you went to a hospital because you were sick 
And the doctor called you in and says, we got to do surgery because of your sickness. And they get you all medicated up and they're wheeling you in for the surgical procedure to be taking place. But the doctor is drinking a Heineken, is having a Guinness, watching The Simpsons, Fox News, and CNN. And you're laid out on the table about for a surgeon to cut your physical body up to get inside of you where you potentially could die. How many of you are going to stop that whole surgical practice right there? You're not going to get, you're going to request a new surgeon, aren't you? You're going to request a new surgeon. Why would you request a new surgeon? Because your body matters. Well, if your body matters, why doesn't your soul matter? Why, why, would, you, why would you listen to some gob on TBN tell you everything that you want to hear, leave you in the state that you're in, pay your tithe to them rather than to your local church, because why? They tell you what you want to hear? As if your soul doesn't matter. Oh, but when it comes to your physical body, all of a sudden now, your physical body matters. Oh, we got to change up the surgeon. I don't like Dr. So-and-so. I don't like the way he talks. I don't like the way he's not, he's not, he, he doesn't care more enough about my physical body. You know, he, I, I, there's a couple of bad reports about that doctor. I'm not sure about him. I want the doctor that I can go to that can do the surgery and he's going to take my body seriously. Oh, what would happen to that doctor if he was eating Cheetos, drinking his beers, watching TV, while at the same time trying to operate and do surgery on you? What would happen to him? Tell you what would happen to him. He'd lose his license. He'd lose his practice. He'll get sued. He'll end up in prison. And he'll never practice being a doctor again. But we got preachers in the United States that are standing behind pulpits getting paid to malpractice. They're getting paid to malpractice. Some of you paying them to malpractice. Some of you keeping them in the pulpit. Some of you feeding them. Some of you keeping them alive and keeping them going. Listen to me right now. This pastor, this church, what I'm preaching to you, this is not judgment. I can't sit in the position of judgment. If I go down into Chicago and I ask this, the, the main courthouse, hey, judge, I want your wig. Give me your mallet. I want to try it out for the day. You know what that judge down there is going to call? The police, and I'm going to get kicked out of the courthouse because I don't have a doctorate. I can't judge like that guy can judge. This is more than just somebody judging somebody else to hell. This is accountability. See, judgment and accountability are different. We're not casting people to hell. God does that judgment to do that. But we're holding each other accountable We're holding each other accountable to the truth of the word. And if you don't want accountability in your life, you're going to end up like a deer. All alone and isolated from the pack. And how many of you know that when a predator like a lion goes after its prey, its number one attack is to isolate a deer 
Because if a deer is in a pack, it's strong. But when a deer is isolated, it's weak. And it can become prey to the predator. The reason why you don't want accountability in your life is because you've been listening to the predator and all along becoming prey for eternity in hellfire and brimstone. Jesus looked at the apostles and he looked at them and he said, if you want to assume the position of preaching, if you want to lead, but you lead someone astray, you purposefully leave out chunks of the Bible just to have crowds in your church building. If you purposefully will not quote Jesus' definition of what hell is going to look like. If you purposefully just say, well, you know, hell is just death. That's all it is. No, Jesus said there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You know why we are passionate about this? More passionate than even a surgeon? It's because our goal is not to add another day to your time here on earth. Our goal is to give you eternal life in Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but I'd rather have someone passionate about my soul than someone just passionate about my physical body because what does it profit a man if his physical body is healthy what does it profit a man if he gets all the vaccinations of the world what does it profit a man if he gains all the wealth yet loses his soul we got a lot of people selling out their souls so that their flesh can be lord of their lives Got a lot of people selling out their souls so nobody can sit them down and hold them accountable to the Word of God. Are you going to be like that? Sell out your soul because a brother come alongside you and held you accountable in what you're doing in your personal life? Are you going to sell out your soul because you want to be prey, isolated to the predator to eat you and devour you? The devil's seeking whom he may devour right now. We're in a war. His kingdom hasn't come yet. We plead for his kingdom to come. But in the age that we're in, we got a devil and an adversary. And the Bible says not to be ignorant of the wiles of the devil. And the devil is at work in Chicago. And it's time now to put on the full armor of God. It's time to remind ourselves to the church of Chicago to the church of Chicago to you as an individual in this place right now that has never yet said yes to discipleship you said, you said yes to go to heaven but you can't have heaven and your way too you want to be discipled you need accountability you want to be a part of the church? You need accountability. You want a preacher? You need accountability. You want to read the Bible? You need accountability. You want to grow in your faith? You need accountability. You can't do this on your own. You can't do this on your own. What good is a hand severed from the body?
What good is an eyeball plucked out of its face? What good is a leg severed from its body? It's no good. You put it together in all of its varieties, in all of its differences, in terms of our functionality in the body. And it is a beautiful church. It's a beautiful church. When we don't look at the outward appearance, but we see the sonship, the daughtership of those that believe on Jesus and realize what Jesus said, which would have been offensive to the Jews, is the good news to you and I. The Jews wanted a Messiah that was just for them. They forgot about Jonah. Didn't realize God was more interested in the world than just them. God loved Nineveh, Jonah. That's why Jesus said, For God so loved the world. Not, no, oh, hold on, Jesus. No, Jews' lives matter. And we're, we're getting persecuted by the Romans. We're getting locked up by the Romans. We're getting kicked out by the Romans. Jesus, come on, Jesus. And Jesus said, No, for God so loved the world. Oh, man loves you, cares about you. Jesus loves you this morning. You are loved by Jesus, so loved, so cared for that he's willing to hold you accountable. Jesus not like the type to just tell you what you want to hear. Jesus is the type to tell you what you need to hear. And that church brothers and sisters that we read today you can hear the conviction coming out of the mouth of Jesus for his church to be better, to grow there's more get out, get awake get up, there's more don't settle for complacency if there's anything a Christian should hate most it's mediocrity it's lukewarmness it's saying no to mediocrity. It's saying no to lukewarmness. It's saying no to just autopilot. Put a fire in my soul. Set me on fire. Let your passion burn in my soul. Let out of my belly flow rivers of living water. In the name of Jesus. I want you to be honest with yourself where you're at right now. I want you to be honest with yourself. I want the word to hold you accountable to this as it holds me accountable. If you're here today, and you can say, the wind's gone out of my life. It's not really so much for the lost. It's not so much for the sinner. As much as it, if you're here today, I want you to also get something out of this and respond. But pastor brought a message to the church. Sometimes we can, as evangelists, just be always looking out, always looking out, always looking out. And before we know it, we're looking out so much that we're no different than those out there. Jesus wants us to be separate from those out there. That's why we've got preachers that put a miniskirt on Jesus and prostitute the gospel so that they can live a life that's disgusting and filthy and you're paying for it to happen. Gospel's not for sale. Jesus, not for sale. The Holy Spirit's presence is not for sale. You can't buy the Holy Spirit. 
can't buy the Holy Spirit's conviction. If you're convicted, you can sense the conviction of spirit right now. With every eye open and every head up, for those that know they're not right, they're not on fire. There's a lukewarmness. There's a staleness. You're asleep. You're not awake. This might be your last opportunity to get that woke. This might be your last opportunity for your eyes to open up. And I'm going to do an invitation right now. And I want you to come immediately. I mean now. Out of your seats. You've got to move around somebody. But I mean now and immediately, an immediate work of response to Jesus Christ. This lady has come up here as an example, breaking the ice. She's a precious woman. Is there anyone else here, any teenager, any young man, anyone out here today, and you're like, this is my first time at church? I haven't been to church in a long time. Maybe you're thinking to yourself, and a lukewarmness has come over your soul. You've been watching all the TV guys, but there's no accountability. There's no, listen, if you're watching this online, you're watching this on the live stream, there's no accountability watching that screen. That's not what God called church. Church is when we are together holding each other accountable. We're holding each other accountable when we gather together. You need to come out of that place and come in here and hold each other accountable. Close your eyes right now. Sisters of God, would you mind coming forward then? This lady here is stepping out saying, I want discipleship. She's saying, I want to grow in my faith. She's saying, I want accountability. I, I want someone around me. I, I don't want to be alone. I, don't, I want Jesus to come tell me the hard things. Jesus' arms are wide open for you, taking you in, loving on you. He cares about you. But my ask tonight, today, is, is there anyone else? Don't wait till tonight. You might not be able to come back here tonight. The Spirit of God doesn't always strive with you. There's a moment when the Spirit of God says, you've been craving that and him and her and this. You can have at it. I'll move on. And I'll wait till you have the end of it so that hopefully there's an opportunity for you to repent. Don't let that go by here today. Because if you walk out, you die, you're going to hell if you know you're not right with God. Don't be backslidden. Don't be blind. Come now. And you're probably thinking, why would I need to come? Why, why do I need to come? Why do I need to leave where I'm at and come forward? Well, listen, if God had to leave where he was at and to come to here, then why would you be ashamed of him in your response today? Because the Bible says that if you live ashamed of him then he will be ashamed of you and I'm asking you right now where you're at and maybe you're thinking well I'm too afraid you see other churches I've been to Adam all they do is gossip about everybody they use me they take advantage of me people just want to see me come forward and make they just want to shame me listen to me right now this is not like the bar up the street this is not like the church of, of, of different things where they judge, they cut their tear. This is a place of healing. It's a place of healing. No one's going to pile stones on you for coming up here. No one's going to go, oh my, did so-and-so really come up here? 
Oh, so-and-so's going to lose their ministry because they come up here. You might have to lose your ministry for a time. But let me tell you something. It's better to be held accountable than go to hell. It's better to be held accountable than go to hell. So I want you, I want you to know this is a safe, this is a safe place. And if you're a glutton, if you're a glutton, you're a gossip, you're a gossip. You're no different than the adulterer or the fornicator. My Bible says to me that homosexuals, adulterers, and cowards all get the same reward in the end. Are you a coward? You can't even share the gospel with anyone, but you're judging everyone that lives differently than you. You can't even share Jesus on the job, but you're judging the Democrats and the Republicans and judging everybody. And you can't even share the gospel. You're going to the same place as all of them that are living in unrepentant sin. And Jesus is calling out to you, calling out to you, calling out to you, calling out to you. And you, for the fear of what so-and-so would say about you, want to stay put. I believe in it. I believe in water baptism. It's a public demonstration of an inward work of what Christ. We're going to baptize tonight. We're going to baptize tonight. But listen to me, it's no different. Baptism and stepping out of your situation is no different. Baptism's just water. What God really wants more than a baptism of water is a baptism of fire. And the Holy Spirit wants to put a fire in you. Has your fire gone out? Come up here right now. Has your fire come up? Come on up here right now. Let's see you. Let's see you. Let's see you. Okay, let's worship the Lord. Let's worship the Lord as the Lord leads. Come.